Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode number 38 of Confessions of a Market Maker. I'm your co-host, Ray, a.k.a. All Day Ray, a.k.a. the head Italian in charge. And I'm joined here by my buoyant co-host, former market maker of 20 years and present-day retail trader. He's known as the silver back of House Street because of his large frame and primal tendencies. He's trading's own big punisher, and I'm not kidding you, because even if he stuttered, he would still shit on you. Catch him on holiday prancing around Minsk. JJ, how's it going? Brother, how are you? Well, that was a creative one. Holy. I had to bring it today, man, <laughs> because our guest is a best-selling author, former professional heavyweight boxer and competitive chess player. His writing focuses on self-improvement and a practical approach to the Stoic philosophy. His 13-1-1 boxing record is only a few percentage points better than my record on the streets. Hailing from the Steel City, Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, I'm talking about Ed Lattimore. Ed, how's it going? Uh, it's going pretty well, man. Quite an entertaining introduction for sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man. You know, like I was saying, you like to have some fun with it, bring some energy. Ed, uh, it's a pleasure. You came to join us. Uh, I want to start off, you know, asking you for somebody who is, you know, vocal about not paying attention to to the news or politics. I imagine it's hard to escape it in this current environment we got going on. Oh, you have no idea. Um, well, I mean, I guess you do, but uh -huh. it, it's what the best I can do is focus on what I can control. And I and I really came to this conclusion uh, recently. Is you know we were talking about before we started recording how I was uh, I was over in Europe and then I came back and and now well, the thing that has has not escaped my attention in the news is how well the Europeans are doing at uh, containing everything versus mm -hmm. the Americans. And as a result, they're like, yeah, you guys can't come over here now. Unfortunately, if I, if I really want to go, uh, I have a Trump card up my sleeve and, you know, get to act on that. But, but that was the first time that I had was paying attention to the news really about all this. And there was a fact where I was like, you know, why can't we just, you know, get this in order, right? And it was bugging me. But I thought about it and I said, okay, uh, there's there's nothing I can do about this. All I can do is make sure I, you know, I wear my mask. I don't get anyone sick. I don't get sick. And I use this time to make myself a better person. I put myself in a better position so that when things open up, uh, I can, I'll, I'll be fine to go about doing whatever it is that I want to do. That's pretty much it. Um, that's one of the reasons why I tell people, man, you can't pay attention to the news and you can't put your energy on these things because at the end of the day, you end up getting all worked up and all, mm -hmm. all out of shape mm -hmm. about a thing that you have no control of. And in many cases, it doesn't affect you. Now, this affects me, so I got to go to the next step, which is, okay, how can I wrestle and get back, uh, get my mind back on, on what, what I can do something about? And that was one of those things I said, okay. Um, I have control of my health. I got control of my practices and dealing with this. I got control of my mood, you know, can still go out on my balcony and barbecue a steak and be happy about that. Mm -hmm. So, you know, that, that's just 
that, that, that so it's the, to the original question, man. It is difficult, but but that doesn't mean that I I stopped doing it or I give in. I still try to maintain the same approach to current events that I've always had, which is you know if it if it does not directly affect my plans, uh, it doesn't exist. And when it does, let me focus on how I can move around it and maneuver. And you know, it's funny, it didn't even directly affect my plans. I just saw it. Like, it's not like I was about to get on a plane and they were like, no, no, you gotta, you know, you can't board. So, uh, keeping up with what I've always done. Right, right. Now, now on the, the politics end, Ed, do you, do you pay attention to politics or, and not talk about it because of like, you know, for the brand and business, obviously a lot of times that's not good for business. Um, or you really just, that's not, that's not your lane. Um, my, well, what is my knowledge of politics? What's the best way to put this? Okay, so, so as far as, like, whether, it, you know, I, I pay attention and not discuss it because of uh, brand. No, I, I really don't know a lot of the stuff. Like, I could never sit and talk politics. I mean, I, I wouldn't know. I mean, it would just be my opinions about stuff uh, superimposed onto the whatever the political backdrop is. And how people, you know, see and take my thoughts. I think that's why a lot of times people, I've heard this enough to, to know that there must be some truth in it. People assume that, like, um, I'm right-leaning because of some of my thoughts. And I'm like, you know, I mean, if those thoughts just happen to identify with, with, with the right, okay, whatever. And occasionally someone will catch me at a different time and I'll think I'm left-leaning. And I'll be like, yeah, I mean, whatever you, whatever you think, right? But I, I, I wouldn't know. Uh, I, I couldn't sit there and tell you, you know, who's in, in what position or what's this or what the political landscape looks like. Now, what is interesting to me, though, what I, what I find beyond fascinating are the strategies to, to win mm -hmm. or right. lack thereof. I love, right. I love studying and seeing those, but I, I don't, you know, uh, I don't really talk about them because um what's the best way okay when you <laughs> when you put out a bunch of shit you're gonna get flaws and you're gonna get a lot of flaws <laughs> man mm -hmm. uh, a lot more than you would get than you put out um if you if you put out some honey and you're gonna get the biggest most disgusting flaws too <laughs> and it's just gonna linger so like, like i've 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 made the mistake and there are certain certain topics that aren't just political like like another one that that'll attract some big lingering disgusting flaws is if you talk about cryptocurrency people will just come around and just float and and they'll just like there, there was a full argument in my <laughs> in my mentions my mm -hmm. mentions like i'm not part of it it's just there yeah. you know and i didn't think to mute the conversation i should have it must have went on for like 2 days after <laughs> I made a statement about crypto and, and I was just asking a question. I wasn't even like declaring my knowledge about it. I, I think I asked, I said, you know, for the, for the average person, you know, not somebody who's, who's involved in the market or anything for the average person. How can, uh, how is crypto any different than fiat currency? Right. I think that's a reasonable question with no assumptions. People, man, fall mm -hmm. off left field, right field. The author of the book, the Bitcoin Standard, hopped in my mentions. It was, it was wild, man. Uh, and and it's kind of like that with politics, which is why I don't, yeah. I don't discuss politics. The difference between Bitcoin and politics is that 
And I, like, like I get it. People feel like, and more increasingly, it seems to be accurate. I mean, I'll fully admit that my stance on on politics, which is that for the most part, it doesn't really matter who's in charge because things follow from culture, and culture kind of dictates where we're going to go, and everything. You know, the laws more or less bend to that. And and I don't like that, but that is that that's the course that this nation seems to be on. And with that, you know, I think that that now does affect more people's lives than before. But but even still, I mean, I I, I can't. It's it's the thing I can't worry about because even because even my thought process, however however well I articulate and form my thoughts, I know that they will be drowned out <laughs> by the majority, right. um, or or on the off chance, you know. And I think the off chance, given how I think, maybe the majority agrees with me. But at the end of the day, you know, my my individual thoughts, I don't I don't worry about it because uh, I can't do anything. Instead, my my entire political stance, if you even want to call it political, I'm just going to say that because that's the the realm of conversation where it, it it's accumulate money, accumulate freedom. Uh, and and if you do those two things correctly, it shouldn't matter. Like, like I'm I'm at a point in my life where uh, if, if if I and I'm I'm you know I I'm definitely not like a rich person, but I don't have to worry about um, money and how it's going to to come to me, and 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 I don't have to be anywhere in particular to make it, so I can just go where I want. And because of you know those 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 trump cards and knowledge and the knowledge i put together you know i can 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 go other places and that was always my stance i'll fully admit that not everyone should uh take that stance because you know then that probably accelerates the fall of the empire and Mm -hmm. you know i say accelerate because i'm convinced this thing is done maybe maybe not my lifetime but possibly uh but I just, you know, I just focus on being free, focus on controlling myself. I don't, I don't want to waste my precious time on this planet arguing with people um, in a system that I think is rigged anyway. You know, you, you're telling me there's, there's over almost 400 million people in this country, and we, we get to choose between two people to, to lead us. And I used to think I was being naive until I saw how other countries kind of run elections and how they work and i'm just like man america maybe had a good idea but ah, it doesn't really hold up at least not enough for me to to be interested in it Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah i'm I'm with you like the as i've gotten older and matured and paid attention a little bit more the strategy is you know a poker player trader uh, that that's my realm of thinking And, and i'm thinking the strategy and i mean i just think like honestly like there's just bad strategic thinking uh, all across the board, <laughs> you know, it's like, I mean, shit, like I could step in there and like, like, uh, and maybe that's arrogant of me to think, but it's like, man, like I get some better st- like political strategists in there, honestly, but, uh, you know, but not I'd- only, not only political mm-hmm. strategy, but uh, one of the things that really got exposed to me or that I observed, I guess, during the 2016 election is that people have no concept of the order of effects. They don't realize that uh, just acting on how you feel in the moment, you think it's going to work well for you and your cause. They, they don't comprehend the counter responses and then the, the responses that are derivatives and offshoots and, and externalities of those counter responses. There's just so many orders. And mm-hmm. then the main thing I think about is, is I remember one day 
Uh, I remember when I when I noticed that everyone was like, oh, you know, Trump's coming to town. We're going to protest him. And I said, and I and, and I it, just, it didn't take take um, a lot of energy to just look at this and go, well, if you protest him, they're gonna they're gonna pay attention. They're, well, two things are gonna happen. You're protesting him because you don't want him to win. Want him to win. But what's gonna happen is that's gonna bring the attention to his message, while simultaneously painting you in a less than favorable light. And people forget that they don't not everyone agrees with their stance and if you package your stance in a repulsive package you know i mm-hmm. let's right. march around with pussy hats or something crazy uh people are going to go hmm <laughs> here are my choices for leadership and, th- and this actually happened right when they were looking at the exit polls see this is the stuff i pay attention to the strategy they're looking at the exit polls and and people were like you know well we pretty much chose trump because uh you know we we disliked hillary more and that is that that's but they don't understand that. They didn't realize that. And, and I tried to explain this to some people. One day, you know, Trump was coming to Pittsburgh, where I live, and uh, I think I think Chelsea Clinton was here at the same was the same day. It was it was just an odd coincidence, or maybe they did it on purpose. Who knows? And these these fools, they couldn't understand that if you don't want, if if you if you want to battle this person and their daughter is in town why don't you gather all your support and go rally for her instead of taking all the attention away from her you got this great pawn and play that would nullify um that would nullify his his his, um presence here and they said no you're gonna go fight 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 and then you know interestingly enough pennsylvania will red probably for one of the first times um it rarely goes it's not it's not usually a swing state but it went red this the, the last election right right and yeah crazy with the with the blue pill huh the blue pill right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah so so you know this is a, this is how i like how i talk about politics i look at the, the with the the ideas and strategy and i see how how because because there seems to be a disconnect. I think people don't at the lower level can't connect how the the actions uh, will look on the broader scheme. And maybe there are really smart people at the top who see how how the the general populace is viewing them and making their decision. But I, I'm not I don't I'm not getting the feeling that there that either there is no disconnect or it's a very sinister like I mean you. What was that thing going around? He's playing 40 chess. I have no, I don't, I don't know if someone is that smart, but if they are that smart, I read one time, uh, somewhere once upon a time, that uh, politicians on average have the highest IQ of all professions. Very hard to believe until you think, well, what if, you know, a smart person can play dumb, but a dumb person right. can't play smart. So, right, right, <laughs> right, right. No, absolutely, absolutely. Well, all right. So, Ed, um, there's going to be uh, traders listening that are not familiar with you. Uh, can you give us a concise breakdown of your background, who you are? I will do my very best, man. I've been working on the concise breakdown. So <laughs> I think I think I've got it. We'll, we'll keep this under five minutes. All right, all right. <laughs> uh, no, nah, man. So, so most of the reason the, the reason people hear about me is because I, I fought professionally, but I also unlike most boxers went off and did did something else um and actually while i was enlisted look no while i was fighting i was enlisted in the army and fought as a professional while i was serving in the uh, pennsylvania national guard and also getting my degree i got a ba in physics 
and that comes with a minor in mathematics. And while I was doing all this, I got got sober and I've been sober now for six years. It'll be seven years this December, and I've become a bit of an advocate for that. One of my best-selling books is about sobriety, best-selling self-published, very proud of it. Uh, and so I, I talk a lot about that. And then I've, I write about my experiences from, you know, growing up. I grew up in public housing, poverty, poor, you know, all this, all the stereotypes. I mean, I knew my dad, but he didn't live with me. I think, I think I saw my dad, um, you know, for once or twice a year for, for you know, a day or two at a time. It's not like he was a presence in my life. So I, I, I it's, Fairly accurate to say I was raised by a single mom. So uh, that that's the the breakdown of you know kind of who I was and and how it all comes together. And now you know I continue to take those lessons and and that life and and everything from fighting to growing up in the hood to military to working on my physics degree. I was a failing math student in high school, but I went and got that together and said, no, I want to learn this. And, you know, there are a lot of lessons from that kind of thing. And, and it all comes together and people seem to find it uh, fascinating and interesting. And I, I don't blame them, man. I, I think my story is, is kind of cool. Um, certainly, you know, I, I have a different perspective of it because I was living through it. I'm, I'm, yeah, I feel lucky to be here some days, uh, many days, really, because there, there were a lot of ways, you know, things can go wrong, certainly in the, the dark period of alcoholism and you're you doing, you know, stupid shit when you're drunk. But here we are, and that's who I am. So, Ed, why did you gravitate towards boxing? Um, was it like an aggressive outlet? Did you were you growing up fighting a lot? Like, what what was the draw to boxing? Uh, you know, the the draw to boxing. So, I didn't start boxing until I was twenty two. That was when I first walked into the gym, and that's that's relatively late. Though there is a trend now of, of heavyweight starting later, due mainly to the fact that if you start boxing when you're younger and you just keep out it, you'll, you'll never grow into like, you know, 200 plus pounds unless mm-hmm. you're like six, four. Right. And even still, you're probably going to be like a rail six, four. So a lot of guys come after other sports, other things they've got, their bodies had a chance to grow. And, uh, but for me, I walked into the sport because I didn't, I was not doing anything all of my life. I was more or less, just being a loser. We're going to, going to work at Starbucks. I'm at home. Uh, I was hanging out with this, with this girl I was dating. It was, yeah, I had failed slash dropped out of college the first time. And I wonder when I went when I was 18, where they tell you that's what you're supposed to do, go to college. So all this was going on. and and But I was really railing against college. And that's, that's key to the story because I would rail against college to anybody. It was very much mm-hmm. a sour grape sort of thing. One of the people that I would rail to against was the girl I was dating, her mom, who happened to be a college professor. <laughs> and so she, so one day she said, she goes, okay, you know, let's, let's say college is, is worthless. Like you said, is, you know, what have you done for the past, you know, four years other than eat the food in my house? And I was like, oh, <laughs> that's, I mean, you're right. Um, I, you know, and then I got thrown out. I remember, I, I, I remember the day. I remember like, you know, crying to me like, man, I really ain't shit, man. She really broke it down. Um, so, so <laughs> I decided I needed to do something. I needed to put some sweat equity in on this planet. I needed, needed mm-hmm. something 
that showed I had been here. You know, I didn't really have anything to to, to show, right? So I looked at different sports, um, and I said, "All right, I'm too over sports." I had looked at looked at ways like um, do like little. I can't remember what they're called. They're like these little semi That's right, semi professional football. Didn't really, you know, have a glamorous kind of path. Didn't seem interesting. But I was watching videos. This is right when YouTube got kind of big, and got guys are posting fights. And I said, "You know what? I can try that." Uh, so. I found a gym, and when I found a gym, it still took me like six months to get the courage to go. And I finally, I went and walked in, and my mentality when I went in, which is how I approach a lot of things, was uh, I'm not going to quit. If I stop this, it's going to be because I'm really, really bad. Like, they're going to be like, dude, you can't come back. Like, we can't let you fight. <laughs> I've, I've seen it happen. They yeah, be, yeah. Thank God, it'll just be like, yo. Oh, Yeah. Uh, You've been hurt too many times. We can't let you do this. Or I was going to get physically hurt, like, like you know, to where I'm not going to be able to continue. Mm-hmm. And neither, you know, and, and I just kept getting better and better and, you know, lose some, win some, but improving and really watching myself grow and develop. And then I, I had put so much time and gone so far with it. It just, I was like, what else am I going to do, like, at this point? So that's, that's how I ended up in it. And, and I stayed there. I started box when I was... 22 my last fight uh, I was 33 or my last bit of training because I didn't train at all you know I thought I was going to come back uh, but I didn't uh, so I was training through like it's like 34 I forget I'm 35 and I almost had the math wrong but uh yeah so like you know 12 years and really changed my life in, in many ways but that's how I ended up in that sport man really I was looking to do something and with my with my type of personality once i found it i just just said all right i'm gonna do this i'm gonna stay with it and we're gonna see how far we can go with it mm-hmm. so what, what was your um you said heavyweight so what was the fighting your fighting weight at uh when i was an amateur i would um i was everywhere from i never i never fought heavier than 240 i know that for a fact uh, but as an amateur, my, my most fit, I was probably moving around like two, 227 to 225, never really much lighter. And then as a professional, when I really was like basically living in the gym, I mean, at that point, I'm, I'm in the gym, you know, 30, 40 hours a week, not yeah. counting other things. Well, well, all total training, 30, 40 hours a week. So, you know, sometimes gym, sometimes film, sometimes run, all that stuff. I was moving around at like, uh, 215 is where I fought a lot of times. Mm-hmm. Um, well, that's solid, yeah. 6'1", yeah. 215. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and when I, when I turned pro, my, my first fight, I was 233. Because you can, like, see my box rec. Well, if you, well, now if you have a membership, the box rec, they, they don't show the weights anymore just for regular people. It's saying it's free, too. I don't know why they changed it. But you can see, like, my, my weight just goes down and down each fight. So I'm, like, right around when I got signed and got paid, I, I kept my fighting weight, you know. But I had, like, two between 215 and 210 it was it wasn't it wasn't it didn't really get heavier than that because it's it's hard to gain when you're when you're that active that moving yeah. and then the nature of boxing training um it's hard to it's hard <laughs> to gain weight oh it's a lot of aerobic fact, yeah it's a lot of aerobic activity yeah aerobic and anaerobic you know mm-hmm. it, it's rough in fact, if I didn't eat enough, you know, we, we had to, because I should have, like, realistically, like, if, if I could go do my career over again with the abilities I had and, and not making moves 
that made the most financial sense. Realistically, I should have been a cruiserweight. I should have been should have been cutting down to two hundred pounds. You know? Yeah. Because if I, if yeah. I can get to two two fifteen to two something, I think I fought at two twelve once. If I can get to that weight, um, just training, a cut would have been no would have been nothing. Right. 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 So how's your uh, how's your physical shape uh, today compared to uh, back in your boxing days? Um, you know what? I'm, well, I'm I'm not I'm not at fighter capabilities anymore. Uh, because I'm just not gonna work out that often. But but now you know same height, same uh, my weight now uh, fluctuates between two fifteen and two twenty two two twenty three. So eight eight pound range. You know, I'm mm-hmm. I'm pretty I'm pretty happy with that because. That because it wasn't always that way, you know. It was a point when I stopped fighting where I was like at like two thirty, and that's no good because for me to be two thirty and not like a power bar, I, I wasn't. I was like eighteen percent body fat, man. It was it was no good. Uh, but where I'm at now is is disciplined eating. I have a really good sense for how many calories I put in my body. I have a really nice routine: get up, or go run, or go to the gym. Mm-hmm. I don't. I, and and then on top of that, I have habits to support that are just natural. Like, like I don't drink calories whatsoever, unless it's like a super special occasion. You know, I don't drink booze. I don't drink. I drink diet soda, so there's no sugar. I don't really drink juice. I drink water. Um, so that's there's the. And I love coffee. That's the other thing. Mm-hmm. No like, cream, no sugar. No cream, no sugar, man. Sugar? Yep, I know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, but other than that, uh. Nah, I mean, I, and I eat well too. You know, I don't, I don't. I'm, I'm fortunate that I don't have to like make dietary decisions based on my how much money I have, which is like, which is funny. Like, part of my fighting career, even you know, I had to do that. It's like, you know, I'd love to be eating steak, but you know, here is where we are. But, but no, um, it, it's it's been a really nice transition, and I I've, I know how to stay in shape as a regular person not be a lazy fighter which is kind of how i think i worked out when i first retired but now mm-hmm. i'm just a a regular person who's in shape yeah i saw I, I don't know if this is true i saw on your uh wikipedia page uh your nickname was black magic yeah yeah i <laughs> <laughs> i came up with that well actually i didn't come up with it i'm, I'm one that like you know coast like put it into box wreck and everything and so it stayed there but yeah one of my my sergeants um came up with that one day and i think he was joking and i heard it i was like you know that's unique <laughs> uh-huh. but powerful because because i'm always looking for ways like because i understand you, you can't be like everyone else uh but you can't be too different you got to find like that that room and i was like okay this is good because i'm like really black uh and <laughs> And magic is cool, and we <laughs> play around with that and have some fun. There we go. There we go. So, so Ed, what was, uh, you know, one big lesson, I guess, or the biggest lesson you took from boxing into the real world, into business? Oh, man. So this is the biggest one. Well, the biggest one in general that I took, I won't, I won't say, like, in business, but I guess it applies there, is, is so before I started fighting, I had a bit of a, a fixed mindset and then boxing watching myself go from like, cause I'm not a coordinated. Like that was not my 
strength, like stuff like basketball, mm-hmm. sports like that. No, I like I played defensive line when I played football, and I was it was good. You know, you just run and hit stuff. Like it's very simple, <laughs> uh, mm-hmm. no real coordination, not a skill position, and but you have to. But but, but if you want to be good at fighting, you you do have to develop some agility, some skills, some spatial oh, yeah. awareness, uh, yeah. fluidity. And so, uh, so that, that happened and ha- watching that occur changed how I approach learning. I went, I went from thinking that my abilities are fixed to really believing that I could, he did have given enough time, you know, I can learn anything and become proficient in it. And so that I carried that with me, and, to, and that, that's what ultimately gave me the confidence, you know, pursue math or rather to pursue something that was so heavily based in math, even though I started out, you know, in high school as someone who was really bad at math. And then I said, no, no, I'm going to learn this and fix this. I, I learned boxing. How hard can this be uh, for for me to do a little, little bit of numbers, right? So took that uh there and then i take it to, to anything now you know when i'm when i'm sitting here working on my site i have a very patient approach and i think it's paid off if i just keep doing this and getting a little better here um i'll improve and then on top of that i've really learned how to be likable but be yourself i think a lot of people uh sacrifice one for the other and what you have to learn fighting, especially as an amateur and at the beginning of your professional career, you live and die by your ability to sell tickets. And you're not just selling tickets to something down the street. You know, people got to like you enough to, like, travel. Like, I, I fought in West Virginia, and that's almost a, an hour away. People have to drive on a Saturday night, no less, to come and see me fight. And, and if it goes well, uh, I won't be even fighting alone. They just have to, you know, come. Uh, to it and see it and pay and support because that's how you cover the opponent's purse and your insurance coverage on the on the, the car and everything. So that is a really another big lesson is like the power of of being likable and makes mm. a big it just makes a really big difference and it makes your life easy. <laughs> it just makes it easier when people like you. It makes your life easier. You know, I was going to, I was going to, I guess I'll jump to the question now. I was going to ask you about this, like the likability aspect, because you, because you have a book, right? Titled not caring what other people think is a superpower. And then to the point you're saying now is, you know, never underestimate the power of being likable. So make, make the distinction for us. Oh, well, okay. So when you, it's not, I I know what you're saying it. I I just, I I feel like I know people could get tripped up on what you're, Right, because on because yeah. because on, on on the surface it looks like you should do whatever works for you, right? And it mm-hmm. doesn't matter if people like you, but that's that's just being an a hole, right? Mm-hmm. That that is not the same as acting in your best interest and doing mm-hmm. what is good for you. Because what I find people go, you know, why why are you get along with people so well? I'm like, well, you gotta understand something. This is for me. And it's to make my life easier when people, you know, people like me, it helps my life and and we we go easier. I'm not really interested in doing anything to make my time on this planet more difficult. So when I, (laughs) when I talk about uh, not caring what people think, uh, you know, I'm, I'm not 
acting to gain their approval, I guess is a better way. Mm. I've learned that the best way to be likable, most counterintuitively, or the best way to be accepted is to, is to just live true to yourself. You know, you'll, you'll right. find the people who want to be around you. Doesn't really, like it really, if I have to pretend to be somebody to get some people to like me, I shouldn't even be interacting with those people from my perspective. Like, what do I get out of it? You know, but if I keep it real, I'm polite and I have manners, you know, you don't, there, there's no, once again, we're not talking about, you know, I feel angry. So let me lash out at this person and let me give them a piece of my mind and, and tell them they ain't shit or something like that. Like, no, that's not, that's not, the, that's not even a mature way to behave. But if you're, if you're behaving in a way that makes your time better and makes your world better, you, you're going to treat people well, even if you disagree with them and, how you know whether they they care what you think or not is is going to be irrelevant i guess i the sometimes i think about this and i go how does that even play into it and i guess the the issue is that people think that you know when you don't care what people think that you you're an ass and to me that's not the the, the those are two separate things i i feel like manners and respect are are what you should greet your fellow human with whenever you get a chance to, you know? Mm -hmm. And if you do that while simultaneously being yourself and not really worrying, you know, if if you're, if, you know, you're, you're an anime nerd or a Star Trek head or whatever, or, you know, some less insidious, like, you know, you, you're a crackhead or whatever, or more insidious. Uh, yeah, you know, you, you're gonna you're gonna find other people who are into that stuff and that's gonna be good for you. And as long as you don't, you know, cause problems in other people's lives and you're not you don't bring them down you're gonna be okay but mm -hmm. but i but i hope that was clear i guess i guess to to, to re-summarize as short as possible or, or as succinctly as possible uh you don't want to be a negative person and that is not related to not caring and i think people uh go well if i don't care i'll be negative and i'm like i mean sure maybe that's maybe that's like one of those rules that you know don't care what people think but you know don't be an asshole so that's the best way to <laughs> talk about it right 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 yeah no because I, I mean the way i take it Ed, is like um we don't want anyone to define who we are right like and right hold ourselves to how other people might see us it's like no i know who i am but at the same time yeah like you said is you want to make your life as easy as possible and being likable, people want to help you, you know, et cetera, et cetera. So I exactly. think that's the way it's And it. to be likable is really just, I think people also misunderstand how to be likable. Being likable is really just being yourself and being respectful. Right. And by being, and if we want to like dig deeper into be yourself, you know, you pursue your hobbies, interests, uh, your hobbies and interests to, to the maximum to put as much energy as you want to them and you pursue them and it doesn't matter what other people think of them they're there for you and it doesn't matter how you see the world as long as you don't hurt people as long as you don't take advantage of innocence um it's for you as long as you may do those things yeah however you live whatever you're into you're not doing it because you care what other people think i think the big a big issue that young kids have is they they, they take on uh they, they try to fit in and when you try to fit in, that's the issue that that's the type of not caring that I'm 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 discussing. It's like, no, you know, when you don't care, you're not gonna try and fit in. You're gonna 
happy and do whatever you like and whatever you're interested in. And you'll find some people who are interested in it. You, they're, like, they're, they're, there's nothing that people, that there's nothing that doesn't have a community around it. You know, there's some things that shouldn't, but people, you know, <laughs> but, but people are people. You'll find people like that. You don't need to change how you think or how you feel to fit. Mm-hmm. That, that's very true in this day and age, especially with uh, people being connected electronically, you, you know, you see people who have all sorts of, you know, hobbies that I didn't even know exist. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's crazy, man. Look, there are, there are, I didn't even know. I don't know if you guys are familiar with this, but uh, Anthrocon here in Pittsburgh, man, there's a whole furry convention. These motherfuckers come dressed as furries and they, and they send dude. And, and we love the furry convention in Pittsburgh because they spend money. We're what is, right? what is a furry? Excuse me. What is, exactly. Like, <laughs> yeah, don't they, this is, uh, this is where they dress up like animals, right? Right, like, where they dress up like animals, dude. Yeah. <laughs> and there's yeah. conventions of people dressed oh, like animals. Oh, convention. I think they're into some freaky shit, too. I don't know, though. I, I, that's what I'd be hearing. I don't know. Yeah, but like, right? man, and there's a whole, just this whole community, man. Like, yeah. I'm telling you, you, you are <laughs> never, with the internet, you are never alone. You do not have to conform. There is somebody out there with your special brand of yeah, if I don't want to call it weird. Uh, you're you're a special brand of life. It's your, of your thing, you know. Yeah. Your thing, yeah. Right. yeah. I, yeah. I, I've seen it all, man, and not, <laughs> well, not all of it because I'm sure I'll, I'll see something new and I'll be like, oh, I didn't know people were into that. Yeah, you seen Ed? You seen the uh, the holographic girlfriends that people are marrying? Have you oh seen boy! That? No, Here we I've go. heard about the dolls. I didn't know they were up to holograms now. The, the, the guy in Jap- a guy in Japan married a holographic girlfriend. Like she doesn't talk back to him. She's yes. cooperative. That's what he's saying. I don't know. I'm like, this is ridiculous. But you know, it was in Bloomberg. Yeah, it was in Bloomberg. You know, and more more power to this guy. You know. Because, <laughs> look, there's there's a guy. The first there's a guy on YouTube called him, Turf Flinging Monkey TFM. That's his handle. That's his, his thing. Already. His thing is he's married to a sex doll, man. And he's got like he's got like a hundred thousand subscribers, probably more than that. Last I checked, like hundred and ten thousand subscribers. Like <laughs> there, there's somebody, and uh, you gotta remember, okay, one hundred ten thousand. That sounds like a lot. That's not even one percent of the population yeah. of the United States. Right. It's just not. <laughs> it's just right, not a right. lot of people. Wow. Yeah. One hundred and fifty thousand die every day. If I remember correctly, on the whole planet, yeah, so yeah, that's incredible. Oh. No, but but you know that, that I think it speaks to a point too. That I was reading another article, um, as far as like online business, right? So like what you do and, and what we're attempting to do is that like you don't even need that big. You just the niche markets, you can make good money just being in a niche market because like you said, a hundred thousand. That's not even mm-hmm. that's nothing of the population. So I don't know. <laughs> It's interesting. Yeah, exactly. One of my favorite sayings is like, you only need 1% of the population to rock with you to live better than the other 99. Right. And it's completely true. You know, I, I think about this all the time. Like, like I go, okay, I have like, okay, you know what, when I'm figuring out how much money I, I can make and I always do assessment, I look at my total audience and I go 1% of them is going to buy something, Right. And that's still a, such a small amount. But if one, you know, if we like round my audience to one hundred thousand people, right? Say one percent of those are going to buy something. 
that's going to be a thousand people. And if I charge, and, and we'll say per month, mm-hmm. I'll release a thing per month. And I said that, and I, and I release something, we'll, we'll go for low ball at it, $20. It's $20,000 a month because I was just a percentage. And, you know, sometimes it's more, sometimes it's, it's less, mostly more. And that is the power of this massively interconnected planet. You just, yeah. You just don't need you don't need to be famous. You just need to be um, really, really. You got to find your trial. Once you find, I think Seth Godin is the one that came up with the whole ten thousand fans idea. Why it was one thousand or ten thousand? I think it was him. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, man, that that's so powerful. It is. It is. <laughs> it really is. It's, I think it's encouraging. I think for anybody, you know, it's like wow. Okay. Uh, it's not like the, the that's the beauty of the internet, you know. Like it's uh, oh, yeah, it's just encouraging. It's, it's it's quite amazing, you know. I mean, I've been on Twitter for a year and a half, and it's <laughs> didn't even didn't even think about using it years ago. Yeah, yeah. Know? But people, yeah, yeah. yeah. but yeah. people want to get on and argue politics. Mm-hmm. People want to get on argue, you know. And it's like mm-hmm. people don't use it the right way, mm-hmm. you know. But anyway, Ed, I want to ask you as as you progressed in life as you evolved as you grew how did you relate to those in your life who were stagnant um you know that's that's a that's a great question because currently there's some nonsense on facebook with some family i mean there's there's no beef for me i don't i don't pay attention to it which is going to be which is a hint spoiler alert (laughs) there's there's the um the way you end up relating to them because here's the thing that happens right i think about think about it like this right if you get to a certain point and there's just things you can't or are not interested in doing with people who are not also moving up, you know, like when you're 20, nobody has money. Everything is broke. And it's like, a big <laughs> deal. Uh, everyone is broke. And it's like a big deal. Um, sometimes you still get your boy on a movie. Like that's just like how, it, how it rolls. Okay. Now when you turn 30, if you want to call the homie up and like, Hey man, we're going down to the bar. To watch the game or something like that, uh, and and he's like, oh, you know, is I, I can't roll like that because I don't I did I don't have any money. You know, why he doesn't have any money is relevant. He just doesn't have enough. Or we can't go. But we're talking about going to you know get some wings, and I don't drink, so we'll just you know and and some sodas, right? Wings and some sodas. And that's not supposed to be a back breaking experience. That's not supposed to to make your wallet. Uh, question itself. But if you're still in that position at 30, well, what's going to happen is naturally there's just going to be things you can't do, can't kick away. Because now, you know, the older, the older you get, you know, how do we keep scoring life? Especially at least as men, right? How do we keep scoring life? Uh, but money is a big way and it's a big indicator. And, it, and it's one of those things that like, and we do that because you can't control how tall you are. You can't control your genetics, whatever, but you do have a bit of control over how hard you work and and where you put that effort. And are you maturing? Mm -hmm. Are you still making bad decisions? Right. Are you still man? Like, like if I want to go to Canada, if I say, Hey man, let's, let's drive up to, to Niagara falls. Right. And my boy's like, yo man, I can't do that. I got, I got DUIs. I'm like, Oh man, that that's rough. Right. I got, I got this criminal record at some point. If you if you are really enjoying your life, you're just gonna s- naturally separate off these people that can't keep up, mm-hmm. right? Like like if 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 I if I want to have like, uh, yeah, I want to go out to dinner. I have some people go out to dinner, you know. 
at some point, and and as a man, you have a certain amount of pride. You're like, ah, I can't have you pay for me, but I can't go either. So it's just boom. You you start to you just start to shed people off naturally. You know, as long as they're not being being you know a holes towards you, um, you you really just as long as you're you're on your path and you naturally leave people behind who are not on your path. It'd be like, you know what it's like? If you want to look at something like not even related to money on a, on a less antagonistic note, you know, people who have kids tend to hang out with other people who have kids, you know? That's true. People who get, people who get married tend to hang out with other married couples. It's, it's yeah. nothing like, ain't nothing that serious, but eventually you, when you're on a life path, you don't have the time to interact with everyone because because one time's finite, so is space. You can't be everywhere. Uh, you you end up just picking the people who are not going to be around you. And if somebody ain't moving and grooving, especially as you become an adult, they're not gonna. You know, I, I, I have a friend from my from from uh, the old neighborhood I grew up in, and and you know we don't talk because what are we gonna talk about? What are we like? We're just living two completely different lives. There is there's no reminiscing. You know, it's I'm at the age now where it's almost I've always been an adult as long as I wasn't or longer than I wasn't one, right? Which is like <laughs> so so when you when you put it like that, you start going, man, how is this person not have their shit together yet? Right? They, that's, how, <laughs> that's how you look at it. And it's just there's nothing for you to discuss and yeah. talk about it. And it just gets fewer and fewer in between. Like like, you know, I have not had to like cut off like yo, you well no, I had to cancel somebody once. Uh, twice. Well, I guess I've, I've done it twice now. Uh, cancel people, but rarely is that way when we when we uh stop kicking it with somebody. It's more like I, I can go do this, you can't, and I'm not I'm, I'm not about to step down, and you're not capable of stepping up. So we're we're just on a different path now. That's how it ends up being. Mm-hmm. Ed, you're a practitioner of the Stoic philosophy. Could you tell us what the philosophy entails and why you prescribe to it? Yeah, so so pretty much it is about focusing on what you can control and not letting your emotions dictate your actions. The, to me, that those are the best, you know, kind of the best way to, to sum it up. Yeah. And then in the first and, and, and diving further on the first point, focusing on what you can control, uh, realizing that you can't really control anything except, uh, I, I said, your intent. When I really thought about this long and hard, like, like and I've done this, I've said, I meditate, like, what do I actually have control over? Like, I can break my leg or I can get sick, my genetics, so I don't really have control over my body. And that, that's a trip for a lot of people to accept mm-hmm. that they don't, you know, I can be tied down or put in prison. So it's not, that's not my control. Um, and how I, what I think, okay, my, my, the act of thinking I can't control, but the facts that go into it and discerning whether, you know, whether they're true or false, I can't control those. If, if there's a big old conspiracy, right? Imagine like you're in the matrix or something. Yeah. You might, have control over your ability to think but you're, you're, you're what you're thinking about is a lie okay and and i think part of the, that this philosophy the way i think always leaves the possibility that i would uh that i can be wrong about anything so what do i what do i have control over since i don't have control over my mind in that in that sense and definitely not my emotions 
uh, I have control over how I react to things and I consider that my intent, right? At least how, mm-hmm. how I intend to do things. Everything else is, is I have my amounts of influence, you know, I can put myself in a position to take advantage of what's going on. But it's really just, it, it's humbling in that regard. I think a lot of people go through life believing they have control when they try, they, it's like trying to grab water. And I'm like, all right, you know, you do your best, but it's better to just cup your hand when the water is running, take your hand out when the water is not, and conserve some energy. But that that's a bit of a tangent. But to me, the philosophy is about focusing on what you can control and realizing, you know, what little you can control and not acting based on your emotions. You know, I always say, you know, the goal is not to get rid of your emotions. You can't do that. That's impossible. Uh, also, the goal is not to feel or, or to not not to feel, you know, that's not the goal either. You Emotions add richness to our lives. The goal is to be able to go, I would, you know, I feel this way, but I know the best course of action does not necessarily align with my feelings. It's not cathartic. It's not right. soothing. Let me take another path. And this is the this the this is the path of discipline. This is the path of stoicism. Sometimes you have to act against how you feel. Because okay. Yeah. Interesting. I just you know I'm I'm 52, so I'm a bit older than both you guys. And and the old days stoicism, they would just say it's you know the endurance of of hardship without complaining, mm-hmm. right? Well, okay, you yeah. <laughs> Right. Yeah. I think that's a natural conclusion of of the idea, right? Yeah. Because because the hard because okay, what are you doing when you complain? When you just, complain, just you are making it worse. <laughs> yeah. Not only you're making it worse, but but in many ways you hope that that complaint is answered, even if it's an idle like idle yeah. like no one else. You hope yeah. it's answered. You're trying to relieve the burden. And and my perspective about when I see a hardship, one of my favorite sayings is the difficulty of a task is irrelevant if it's vital to your success. I look at a thing and go, okay, this is a thing that needs to be done. How I feel about it does not matter. So so to complain doesn't even register in my mind, you know. Yeah. It's yeah. just like, all right, let me let me do this. So so that's what I said. I was saying, like, okay, I mean, I I see that conclusion. Because that that we, we arrive at the same point doing yeah. work without complaining, but yeah. it's, you know how we you know, we get there. Yeah, no, no. I just it, I, I grew up in a place where you know in sort of in the middle of Canada, and, and most of the people here, the, you know, the, it's surrounded by farms. So they, you know these are people who do backbreaking work, eighteen, twenty hours a day, and they just never complain. You know, so I was raised around people like that, and um, so it's it's interesting now that that it, it that's sort of coming back now. It's, it's good to see. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and I don't, I don't know how much it's coming back, you know, but, but what, because, you know, I got people look at me like, Oh, you know, you're this way when, you know, feel this, feel that something, something. I have a friend who used to call me Spock. Right. Like, <laughs> <laughs> because like that, that's, that's Spock's character. Right. He mean, he's like the embodiment of all things, things stoic, mm-hmm. but like, <laughs> But I'm 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 not that guy. What I what I what I try to do, and I think this has served me well, and probably has has protected me a lot of times from my worst tendencies, is that 
I, I will not make a decision based on how I feel. Like that, right. that mm, fundamentally right. feels incorrect to me. Like even right. if, even if I get the right answer, mm. I don't like how I arrived at it, and that would that would bug me. I try to go, okay, I feel this way. What's the best way to get what I want out of this situation? Sometimes that is not given in. Sometimes it is given in. Like I tell people, you ain't never mean, I know when I'm angry because when I get angry, I physically feel differently and it lingers for days. Like, because I'm not used to, to that. Mm. But I know how to manipulate the appearance of anger because sometimes that's effective to get people to move and get them to, to do what needs to be done. Mm-hmm. And that's the difference. Is the control of it versus it is it versus it controlling you? Right, right. Because I think that's that's a huge misunderstanding. Is it's not about um, getting rid of your emotions. It's about not acting on the emotions. Because I think it's pretty well documented at this point that when you're emotional, it's you're not your reasoning faculty is just not there. It's not performing optimally. And I think that's what the founders of this. Uh, philosophy the, the the Greeks the ancient Greeks would that was their point and that just I think it's almost like uh, realizing that there's a lot of things out of our control is almost regaining control yeah. by focusing on our process right Ed would you agree with that absolutely you know yeah. I really like how you said that uh, yeah when you by, by realizing or rather by realizing what you don't have control over then you can take that energy and focus it on what you do have control over. And then you, and then what's funny is, or, or rather an interesting thing happens, you are able to ever so slightly, but gradually expand your sphere of control because you because you start with the right premise, which is I only control my intent. And then you're able to look at everything else. It's like, it's like poker. Poker is one of my favorite analogies for life in this regard, because you play the best you play, but at the end of the day, you know, you, you make the right decisions and mm-hmm. you still lose, or you can mm-hmm. also make the wrong decisions and win. The difference is that if you emulate a wrong process over time, eventually, you know, the, as, as I always say, the law of large numbers is going to catch up to you. Right. On the other end of it, if you emulate the correct, if you repeat the correct process, you might lose some, but you win a bit more and it gives you a greater respect for the forces at play around you. You realize you don't, you just don't have control over anything. All you could do, you just put the the odds in your favor. That's it. Absolutely. No, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, absolutely. And I think that's when I stumbled. I was already an experienced player once I came to this philosophy, and like right away, I was like, yes, like this is it. I already, uh, I under, I intuitively understand these from years of playing poker, and and you even see it with um. Uh, you know, I don't know if you're from, I think you're familiar with Ryan holiday, Eddie. Yeah, um, very much Ed. so. yeah, yeah. You're, you're, you're familiar with him. And like, I know he speaks to sports teams upon this. And so you've been seeing athletes are embodying this now. And I think anyone who does performance sports, this makes a lot of sense. It's focused on the process, uh, not the results, because if you focus on the process, the results more often are not going to take care of themselves. Absolutely. I always yeah. say, you know, you can focus on focusing on, on improving the process tends to improve the outcome. Right. Vice versa is usually not so, you know. Right. Absolutely. So you taking up chest, Ed, uh, what, what was the reason to help sharpen mental mental faculties or is there other objectives? 
Uh, you know what I so so I really I just love the game, man. It, it, there's a certain romanticism to it, I guess. Mm-hmm. Uh, where you you I can set up my board, I can sit and play. You know, it, it's international, which is really nice. It's one of those things you don't need to that and fighting. I mean, maybe that's another reason why I like <laughs> fighting. It's very easy to just go someplace and play. Like the rules are simple, uh, and you get to get done with it. But what? I, but what I like most, um, you know, I, th- I think I just liked it initially because it was cool. Is I got better, and I started, you know, paying for tutoring and studying books and and really like trying to be as serious about the game as I could be. I realized that the proper way to think about chess has a great, um, it. it has a great application to reality. We a lot of people think when you when you're playing chess, you're looking and trying to see moves ahead. And once you realize that, once you study, you realize the the real way you play is you look at each position and you go, okay, here are some weaknesses in this position. Here are some strengths. How can I? What, what is the move that is most optimal that attacks the weaknesses, uh, shores up? the the strengths in my position uh and develops my pieces and you know you're always looking at uh, it's basically each move is a series of trade-offs and i really like that aspect of it like that's most fascinating to me that we that the the difference even when you're looking at a computer and the way the computer analyzes moves is is the computer reaches the same conclusion, although it can just play trees forever because it's got or there are different lines of moves and just can tell you how it should turn out because it can process fast mm-hmm. and fat, way faster than a human ever could. But the difference a lot of times between the move you made and the best move really is, okay, your move wasn't as optimal and, and the point differential, you know, or the advantage you gained was was so much smaller than the other move that were forced to only mark this move as good versus the best move or what you thought you get you didn't factor in what you gave up so you were really in a worse position making this move than had you made another move or had you played a more passive move that didn't expose anything but just developed kind of strengthening your position you know thinking when to do what is my favorite part of the game by far like, like i really like sitting there thinking and going okay how do i play this position best and if you just keep making the the best move in each each position each, each move right eventually you should you know you should win the game unless the other guy has made an, another move uh, another his series of moves gave him a bit of uh, an advantage as well magnus mm-hmm. carlson uh, says he goes. His goal was to play forty good moves, which like didn't make any sense to me at first when I first started. You know, when I heard that, it's just like, oh yeah, of course, everyone's goal is to play good moves. But but really, it, it's every move to make the, the the move that is the optimal for everything right. going on on the board. I love I love that Ed because uh, a few years ago with poker they came out with um, it's called the it's called solvers in poker and in essence it's a computer software that uh, can solve poker to where you can play an unexploitable strategy, right? And that was wow. one of the things. Yeah, and, and that's why when we were talking off camera while I was telling you uh, why poker's getting so difficult now, right? Um, and one of the big conclusions 
um, where before pre-solvers was that like, okay, you have to think the whole poker hand through, right? How is the guy, how is your bet going to interact on the flop? How is he going to react on the turn river? Whereas now after, uh, you know, studying the solver, studying how the, the computer plays, I just worry about making the right move. Like you were saying, just the right decision at that time. Then I'll worry about the, the turn play or the river play. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? I was reading um, Annie Duke's book, Thinking and Bets, and yeah. she said something really interesting that, that, that stuck with me. I mean, the whole book is great, by the way. I don't know if you've read it or not as a poker player, but uh, she says that chess in, is not a game in the in the purest sense of the definition mm. of game. Yeah. Because in chess, there is an optimal solution. Like, like And if someone plays that, then it's impossible to beat them if they are white, and it's impossible. And you can, and the best you can do is draw them if they're black, because mm-hmm. when you move first, you get a it's like a half point. It's initiative, okay? Uh, but poker is not the case. It's not that case, and that there are un- there's uncertainty right. because the, the, we don't know what cards are going to come or in what order, and that changes how we're going to play out the hands or the strategy, uh, or the strategy we take. And that always stuck with me, and in the sense, and then that's the, the difference between in my in my. Yes, I, I know. I know what she's saying. I I've I haven't read the full book, but I've I've read other works by Andy Duke, so I know exactly what she's saying. Is like yeah, because like the chessboard, right? Like Ed, when we're playing, you see my pieces, I see your pieces. When we're playing poker, it, there's there's going to be some guesswork. I don't. We don't see each other's oh, cards. Oh yeah. So <laughs> it's like... right. So so chess is a game of complete information where poker isn't. Yes, Games but there still is. Information. Very yeah, boring. but but poker is in a sense still solved, right? So like I can play a strategy, Ed, and now it's impossible for a human to play this way, right? But I can play a strategy to where you can exploit. No matter if I bet, check, no matter what type of action I take, if I'm playing a correct balance strategy, you won't be able to exploit it. No kidding, I didn't yeah. know that. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, well, power of technology. You know, so. Wow, so so now I have a question. Then are yeah. we at the point? Like, cause we're at the point now where like no human can beat a computer. Like we that in chess. Are we at right. that point now in poker where like no human can beat a computer? We are. I, I don't know if I'd be the best person. To, I've I've heard like top notch, like best in the world poker players talk about it. And actually, one just very recently, he says he doesn't think that's the case yet. Even though like we're very very close, Ed. Um, to where uh, an AI, um, a bot can beat a human. But like okay. right now, the big, yeah, we're very, very close. Um, it's just it's just a matter of computing power, really. There's just not a m- enough computing power right now. And a, and a, a good human could find like, um, can exploit cer- certain inefficient inefficiencies with the bot if they know, if they're familiar with the uh, optimal strategy as well. So yeah, so a bot could probably beat most humans, probably like 95%, maybe even more. Wow. That's Except for like the top top, and so that's why, like especially for me, Ed, like I was an online poker player. So and now, the big thing with online poker is like now, like the, the the even the more dangerous thing is having they have like assistant software, like live time software. So you have a human who's over controlling, um, you know. Oh, and they don't, and, then, and they don't have rules against this. No, they they do, but the the the, the it's it's like. Uh, Online poker is kind of more or less like the Wild West nowadays. Um, the U.S. I'm not even. I mean, honestly, like legally, I'm not even supposed to be even be playing as a U.S. resident. No kidding. In, in my state of Florida, yeah. So it's you know, without going down that rabbit hole, but yeah, no, it's um, yeah, it's real interesting. 
to say the least. But yeah, no, I mean, j- just, and it makes me think just uh, the, the assistance of, and the things you can learn, like even about like chess, right. Or what I've learned through poker uh, with the assistance of uh, technology and software um, because there's just certain things the human brain isn't good at naturally. Yeah, exactly. And, and, and if it is good at it, it's not good at it for a long time. You know, yeah. Yeah. I think I think someone I read that what we play our best poker for like the first three hours and then everything after that kind of goes to the trash. Yeah, yeah, it could. I mean, definitely. Yeah. I mean, if, if you're fatigued, I mean, that's probably like any type of activity, um, you know, I would think, um, you know, while, while we're on this topic of poker, Ed, I, uh, I, I was looking at your uh, recommended reading section on your website. Oh, yeah. And, and there's a few books I'm familiar with. I've read uh, The 10X Rule by Grant Cardone. Uh, I used to do sales uh, before. Um, so I was a big Grant Cardone guy. Um, the Art of Learning, Jots, Josh uh, Waitskin. Whiteskin, yeah. Whiteskin. Uh, that, one of my favorite books. I love that. I mean, that goes to what we're talking about. I mean, if you can, uh, it's the process of learning. I mean, if you're good at one thing, in theory, you should be able to translate that to another thing. And then, yeah, um, yeah, what do you generally, think? Yeah. <laughs> I think that once you understand, like, like for me, the big thing was uh, boxing. Once I realized how I was learning boxing, I was able to apply that to learning math. And then that, right. then that made me even faster at learning. I was like, okay, I'm going to apply this to Spanish. And I was like, oh, wow. Okay. That this works i have a, i have a way to kind of look at the process and, and i anticipate uh problems and then how to deal with them because because i, th- I think someone described the book as like um a, you know the book makes you think about how you think right and i was like what a great yeah. way to describe it because that's true because i you know you think about how you how you acquire information and how you process it, and then after you've processed it, how you how you use it, and that is a really big deal. Like like a lot of people, at least Americans, and I don't I don't know um, if they even think about this per se in Europe or it's just ingrained. But one of the things I noticed is you know we are really bad at learning languages, like just absolutely awful. <laughs> yeah. And and the reason for that though has nothing to do with our intelligence level right but it's the way we approach learning languages i had a i had a one of the kids i was tutoring uh, i was tutoring her in, in um math and physics but it just so she was working on something in spanish and i was going over some of the stuff with her and i realized kids are afraid to mimic the accent right which is huge because that's how you pronounce the words. Like, and if you don't pronounce, if you, if you never learn how to make the sound correctly, you never learn how to hear the sound. If you never know how to hear the sound, uh, now you've got two problems. The people can't understand you. And then when they try to communicate back, you, you don't even know what they're saying. So because you don't really know how it sounds and then where those, those sounds should be. And, and it really, it struck me. I was like, wow, just because of how we're, taught to deal with uh something as simple as learning a, a few new words it sets the tone for everything else and mathematics is a, another issue to, with this as well one of the reasons i got so good at math is not from having to do so much of it was that i had to apply what i was using it wasn't just an abstract principle or rather an abstract exercise you know th- these were very real problems in motion 
or problems with phenomena in the world that I had to like learn how to, to do. I, I had to use the numbers and solve the problems. And if, and if the numbers didn't look like they should be correct, you could generally tell if they were too off by magnitude, or you got a negative sign and you're like, I know I moved forward. How did that happen? Uh, you're looking at these things, you go, okay, that's not right. And that's developing a feel for it. And that's what like the whole I think if there's no way to practically apply it, you probably won't learn it. And if your practices for learning don't, um, they they keep you from encountering the real world or, and really getting some kind of feedback, you're not going to get it. By the another reason why boxing is great, man, you make a mistake, you you tend to find out pretty fast, <laughs> and yeah. and you don't make it again. And if you do make it again, you're not going to make it a third time. And if you make it a third time, you're not going to box anymore. Like, yeah. like there's a pretty, pretty yeah. solid uh, feedback mechanism <laughs> there, and it's the same if you you can. And foreign language is great, you know, but we don't get a chance to. Plus, you know, we're, mm. we're landlocked. We're not landlocked, but uh, the the country that speaks another language is not really as safe as to go to this closest to us and the one mm. above us. You know, they speak English, except the Quebecois, they speak French. So. <laughs> Bien sûr, en profession. Yeah, man. Like, you, you know what's funny? Like, what about uh, je ne parle, je ne parle pas français. I used to know French. <laughs> je ne parle pas. That's right. I don't speak. There we go. Je ne parle pas. Come back. There we go. <laughs> uh, well, the the one book that stood out to me, uh, Ed, that I was surprised with was you know obviously being a poker player, and I, and I read this a while ago, but was uh, Caro's book of poker tells. Yeah, oh, I how love did that you, book, man. How did you stumble upon that? So once upon a time, I fantasized about being a, a, a poker player myself. Oh, okay, right? okay, yeah. And so, so my, and I really, my, my, but my favorite part of the game, why I love it, is is reading a person's reactions, the subtle reactions, not the overt tell, but like the subtle ones, and, and, yeah. and then trying to figure out what they mean, and then intuitively assigning a uh, probability value to it, mm-hmm. which is like what the whole, what the, how that whole book is structured. It's like, if you see this, depending on the strength of the game and the strength of the player, there's a good chance it means that. And, you know, from there you can work out an expected value formula and figure out where to bet. But mm-hmm. the whole idea, just reading through it, uh, that is part of it. The other part I really like on the book is, is the identification of certain tells, which you realize all the tell is, is a person's inability to, you know, the, to disguise their emo- they they want to disguise their emotional state, uh, but they can't because that's very difficult to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then, how does it leak out? Well, it depends on the, the the person's level of discipline, which in my mind he interpreted as the I think it's set up by difficulty of game or something like that, and. And our, there are our strength of player, not difficulty of game, strength of player. And so someone who plays plays for a while, even if they have never trained themselves formally to do so, they likely have a better control over um, their emotions. So, so something as subtle or something as obvious as like staring at the flop is probably not going to mean as much at a higher level game. And in fact, might be used to negatively, you know, throw you off, get you to think that maybe they connected on a straight or a flush on the other end, something that's very hard to control, but harder to catch is someone's uh, breathing rate. You know, if if they see something that, that, 
they hid or more more often or not they've they've got themselves in deep water and and it didn't connect now they got to kind of figure out how to get out of it uh but but even then you know you realize that all that is showing is is when things get complicated how a person reacts to complications versus simplicity the more complicated things get i you know i've bet a lot of money and now i didn't connect uh, it get it gets a lot harder. I've always I've always found, or rather, they it gets harder for them to disguise their their emotional distress. And I think that's a good lesson in life. Reading people is actually will, will save you a lot of time uh, and and make you avoid a lot of problems as, as well, or help you to avoid a lot of problems. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, no, I yeah, that was one of the biggest takeaways I took was was uh, applying it to real life. Um, and like I was saying, I, I, I played more online, but I, you know, I played, you know, I play frequently in the casinos as well. Uh, but as soon as like books like this started coming out and there was another one by, uh, an FBI agent that I read, um, oh, yeah. Who's, uh, uh, Navarro, uh, Joe Navarro, yeah, yeah. I believe. Yeah. Joe Navarro. Oh, you did. Yeah. Nice. Everybody's line or something like that or something like that. Uh, I I haven't seen any of his talks, but I read, he, he wrote a couple of books, I believe. I know I at least read one of them um uh, pertaining to you know you know his interrogations and certain cues he would look for and how that would apply to the poker table and um once a lot of these books started coming out i think like a lot of people got more conscious at the poker table you know what i mean and so people started (laughs) people started moving more in a robotic fashion i know i did i I have to ask your opinion on something i've always i've always been of the opinion that if if they wanted to make the game like super competitive, they should they should ban hoodies and and, and sunglasses. I've always I, thought that. I yeah, I mean, yeah, <laughs> no. And there's there's other people that think. I mean, it's actually it's been a big debate like within like the poker community because a lot of people think it's bad for. I mean, one for the game, like you said, like as far as you know, covering up the body and stuff. Uh, and then other people just think it's just bad. Like like uh, somebody who's just coming to the casino for fun. Ed, right? They don't want to be playing with a guy whose his whole face is covered, and like we're there to have fun. Right. It's like we want to make, the, especially for us who are trying to make money for a living. You want to make the game enjoyable for as you take their money. You know what I'm saying? Like you don't want to take their money and then they're having like you're at the table, face covered, not talking. So you, you don't know? want to play poker with the Unabomber? No, no, no. Well, <laughs> and, and right. And on top of yeah. like, you know, even if look, I, I, I actually like, I actually kind of get the argument that. Okay, you know this person's just hanging out at the casino, and and they're trying to just have some fun. Okay, whatever, right? It's not serious, but well, like when you get professionals together, and their whole and the whole point is like to show I'm better than you, or it's a competition. You know, yeah. there, there, there's money, but it, it's a competition too. Right. Uh, yeah, you know, the, to me, man, that's like steroids in in a, in a fight. You know, is it <laughs> instead of just it's, it's an unnatural it's an it boosts an unnatural or rather it gives an unnatural boost to something right because I, if, if our if our if our goal is to who who's the better one at the, the you know hiding what we have or just dis, are deceiving the other person mm-hmm. well you gotta you know practice that, that that's always been my my thought i don't you know i'm not a yeah. pro though so. well i'll say this when 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 it does get to that level though and you're playing like pro versus pro um, especially though the high level ones, I could almost, I would almost be a, fairly sure that they're not even paying attention to body language because you, you discern a lot more from people's betting patterns. Um, no kidding. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. 
Yeah, because 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 think about it. Every time I bet, Ed, I'm I'm displaying. I'm telling you a piece of information about my hand. Now, especially if we're understanding theory, and you and you know, I know I'm at a high level, and then it gets it gets layered. You know what I'm saying? And like you don't have time to think about how his body posture is looking. Ah, and then you no you have to make yeah, and you have to make a decision in a somewhat timely manner. Uh, under pressure, there's only, you know, you only have so much brain capacity. I mean, I probably kind of like when you're playing like speed chess, right? Like you probably, you probably can't think it yeah. as depth as there's you would an, want to. There's a, there's a, there's a saying that goes, you know, uh, the, the like regular chess um, test, you know, what you know and speed chess test how well you know it. Right. 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 So, yeah. So I would, I would say like current day, like now, now if I go to the casino and I'm playing with, with just uh, people who are unaware Ed, yeah, you can pick up uh, body language fairly reliable, you know, um, I always pay attention to the betting patterns first, but then like you said, it's like, okay, that's an extra additional piece of information I can factor in, especially if it's like a shaky decision. But if I'm playing against someone who's astute, I'm, I'm probably not even like factoring that into thinking be about it. That's yeah. Really, yeah. That's interesting. I guess, I guess that's what, because I don't, I don't know poker like super well or anything, but I, I would imagine it's like when you, when you start fighting um, first, you know, you're looking at the person's arms, but after a while, it, you, like you can't get better if you, if you pay attention to your arms, then, then, right. then you start looking at their chest. And then, and then at that point, you know, you don't even realize you're looking at their chest you just you understand that what a subtle movement means and where you're vulnerable for you know whenever your body position changes so you, you can free up that part of your brain to kind of worry about the bigger threats that will make a difference in the in the contest at that level right right no but no perfect analogy right it's a, as you progress it's yeah it's just it's just a progression yeah absolutely all right ed a uh, few rapid fire questions and then we'll wrap rapid this up fire. all right Rabbit fire. All right. Um, books you've been reading lately? Oh, what am I reading lately? Okay, so I just bought this is great cousin. I just I'm reading this this book I picked up. It's a little one called uh, on tyranny on tyranny, and it, it talks about like uh, all the different ways that dictators and and like communist regimes have like come into power, and mm -hmm. and it, it's just so frightening because you see a lot of the same things happening uh in the united states like yeah. they were talking about oh you know when you when you um give it give up symbols or like like the power of symbols or the power of like premature obedience like thinking that it will ingratiate you to the leadership and in reality they're thinking like oh we got you to do this what else can we get you to do and so uh, that's interesting Right now, I'm also on the same book run where I picked up a few physical books. I also picked up the uh, script written like, you know, bound like a book form of The Hateful Eight, Tarantino's movie. And that that's a oh, yeah. fun one to, to read through because, you know, I, I, Tarantino's a great, uh, great writer. And I've always enjoyed his dialogue. And so I was mm -hmm. like, oh, I'll pick this up and read it. Check that out. But, yeah, those are the two things I'm reading right now uh, in, in physical and on my Kindle, I'm finishing up on Killing. I've been reading that for a while, and I'm finishing up on um, Thinking in Bets by Annie Duke. So those are the, the two books I'm reading on my Kindle, and my physical books are the, that book about tyranny and the uh, the Hateful Eight kind of screenplay. 
let me just jump in. Ed, yeah. you got to read a book while you're on that Kindle. Check out a book called The Contender by Robert Lipset. It's about boxing and how it changes a young man's life. Written oh, no in 19, kidding. Written in 1967. I read it as a kid and uh, it totally um stuck with me and the the one thing that stuck with me in that book was uh the old guy who's the coach says it's the climbing that makes the man getting to the top is just an extra reward and uh i think you'd i think you'd like the book the contender i will definitely keep that in mind yeah hmm. oh ed something something i thought about i wanted to there's there's a new book um i got it on it's on the way written by Anna Kornikova. So she's a, she's a writer, an author, but she went under a year of playing poker um, and mentored by a longtime poker player. I think well, this guy's almost been a pro for like four years or four decades. And I haven't read the book yet, but I've heard her on a few podcasts. And one of her takeaways is that she thinks that like poker, uh, maybe chess or anything of a strategical nature should be taught to children in school. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> you know right? what's funny? Yeah. There's somebody that, that I talked to on, on the on, on Twitter because I don't know who they are. They're anonymous. But they found me because of my mentions about chess. And and the person was telling me that like and I think it's Norway. They um they have like every kid pretty much plays chess and they, they work at it and, and some get good, some don't, but everyone takes takes a crack at it. And so like they, they just come out thinking differently about, about problems in life because, you know, how you think about, like we talked about uh, earlier in the, in the show about how chess gets me to think about problems that I encounter. Imagine if everyone at least had that grounding in how yeah. they, uh, their thought process. Yeah, no, absolutely. I, and I a hundred percent agree. And I think one of my biggest takeaways from poker and it's it's a struggle sometimes talking to people who don't have um this type of understanding right because ed in in life nothing is a hundred percent like nothing is like black or white you know it's like i go into a poker hand i'm 80 i see everything in probabilities uh you know rarely is there things that are just surefire bets and i i think that's a lot of way people view life in yeah you know but all right next question uh, top five. I know you're a hip hop fan. Top five hip hop artists. Oh man, I I don't know who's out today, man. Because I'm 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 from the, the you know '90s, early 2000s. Yeah, no, no, I know. I know you're gonna give me okay. some good ones. Yeah. Oh yeah. All right. So so big man. I still listen to a lot of Jada Kiss. I'm that is <laughs> by far my favorite. Oh, Jada Kiss. Big, okay. Yeah. Uh, Jada Kiss. Uh, big fan of DMX. Uh huh. Mob Deep. Oh, nice. <laughs> Uh, a little newer, but but I'm I'm still a fan. Uh, Meek Mill, probably okay. the last you know real rapper. Is you know I don't know what the kids are listening to today. Um, and then and I guess I got another modern guy there. I like listening to to J Cole as well. So okay. so really you know hey but 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 you know what? Now that I think about it, man, I, I gotta I don't know how I made this list without putting Exhibit on there. I, I love listening to Exhibit. Uh, I had all his albums coming up as a kid. Uh-huh. It's hard, man. Top five. I just realized because, because man, I'm from a we're from the era of of great hip hop. You know, but back yeah. when the, the when best, when the yeah. guy was it was that it was that that perfect storm of like gods had something to say, but they weren't preachy about it, and there was still the culture behind it. So and but the culture wasn't necessarily, 
you know, glorify for the sake of glory. Like, you know, I, I sell dope because and that's what makes me cool. It was like, <laughs> I sell dope and that's my life. And here's the story I have from it. And, I, and that, that was like yeah. perfectly encapsulated in the, in the, in the 90s, man. I just... We're never gonna have another, at least not for rap. I don't know if any other rare music for real, but we'll have something like that. Yeah. Again. Yeah. But yeah, Bob man. D. Top five is you know I gave you some names, but <laughs> that's good. That's why I was I was like in uh I don't know if you caught it like like uh, Mob Deep uh, Prodigy had that the album H I N uh H N I C. I don't know if you're familiar yeah. with that one. That's why in the intro I said that the head Italian in charge. That's why I put that. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Because I knew you was a hip-hop fan. I didn't know if you would catch it. Yo, I wonder what you know, Okay, right, right, right. Yeah, I, I, yeah, yeah, okay. I wonder what, what the hell is that? Uh, I can't remember the, the name of the track, but it was one of the ones that they, um, that, that was more pop. That, like, because they made a, they had a lot of albums, but there was, I don't think there was a lot of, like, commercial no. singles, but it was the one, yeah. uh, but, but he starts it, goes, it's the H and it's, yeah, okay. Yeah, the H N I C. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah no, Mavdi, I love that. They're just, like, that grimy, that just grimy, aggressive hip-hop yeah no nah, I, I love that all right um favorite movie or favorite movies if you got to listen oh, to you. Well, my favorite movies easy man man on fire but denzel washington I'm, mm-hmm. I'm a, i love that movie man so much uh second second uh second and third kind of todd are the fountain the interstellar so the those you know those are three fairly different movies man but but I, i'm a big i'm a sucker for for movies that to kind of take you on an emotional journey what a male protagonist i don't think they do it well for men at all but mm-hmm. when it's done uh it's usually done great and, and they have to and when they when they do it there has to be a really good story behind it and i like sci-fi but that revenge flick man oh uh, man on fire that, that's just great I'm a, I'm a big fan of that one mm-hmm. that's a good one mm-hmm. all right Ed, you're on death row and you got to choose your last meal what is it <laughs> Ooh, that is probably going to be tacos. <laughs> yeah, it's probably going to be tacos, man. I, I, it's my last meal. Uh, real close, real close, some lobster, but uh, tacos. I, you know, if, if I'm gonna go out, man, that's what it's going to be. It's going to be, and, but but I'm uh, but I'm weird. I like my tacos with green olives instead of black. That's it. That's it. <laughs> with the green olives, tacos with the green olives. Yeah. <laughs> okay. All right. All right. Um, all right. Last one. Most irritating belief that blue pill people have. Ooh. Oh, this is oh, the most irritating. Uh, you know what? Happy, happy wife, happy life, man. That shit makes me mad, man. <laughs> and I'm like, dude, if you only yeah. understood that, like. You know, if you're if you're happy and you're on your purpose, she she's gonna be happy too. Like, and the and the comparison I have for that is like, you you you, you do you ever have a dog and like are you walking the dogs somewhere and if you're cool or no, here's a better one because I don't I don't want to compare women to dogs. I don't want to do that. Here's a better one, right? Uh, if you if you bring somebody around a newborn like a new kid. And the kid is going to watch how you respond to to the people. And they're going to form their reaction based on that, right? It would be weird for it to go the other way around. For, like, every person that the kid, you know, 
if they they're like afraid of strangers, you're like, I ain't talking to strangers either. Like, nah, man, you, you gotta lead the way, kind of. You can't uh, a man can't be uh cannot be attractive and also be supplicating like it's th- those two things don't work which is why you know look if, if you're happy she'll be happy if, but if she's happy to, and you make that your goal to do that um then you're probably not going to be happy and that's going to come off and have a bad effect in a relationship it's not that our happiness isn't important it's just that yours is more important all right I would, last <laughs> one i i just thought of this i just thought of this now because you were in the military right yeah um, is there any do they try and like blue pill you in the military is there any of that going on um you know what yes but here's the thing i i enlisted at the age of 28 i did that late too mm-hmm. and um and so so i was kind of you know one i i came in with a goal and and part of that goal, it had nothing to do with dealing with any girls. You know, I was already dating a girl with now. I was like not interested in getting caught up. I saw what happened when the dudes they got caught up at all levels, you know. And and for real, what you gotta what you gotta remember about the military is that at least when it comes to to, to our military, I don't know, I can't speak for any other countries is that they don't have the same standards for women. But the minute you, you treat a woman like not you, even though she's on different standards, you, you're setting yourself up for trouble. So you gotta, so you have to, if you're gonna exist here, you gotta do one of two things. You gotta like brainwash yourself to believe it. And that's not that difficult for a lot of guys to be like, okay, this cognitive dissonance is cool. She's not held to the same standard as we but I got to treat her the exact same. And when it, this doesn't bug me whatsoever, or you, I mean, you just learn to shut up. You just learn to shut up and, and you know, keep it going. And mm-hmm. that's hard for a person like me, but it's a great exercise in, uh, in discipline and stoicism. <laughs> yeah. 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 No, I, 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 you know, I had zero trouble with that. I just, just kept my head down, kept it going. And, and you know, you know, a lot of it is too. Um, haven't seen the military from the perspective of, I think I was 27, 28, one of those, right? Um, seeing it from the perspective of, of being a, as an adult and seeing how someone who was like 18 or 19 going through it, man, look, if, if you, you, you're just not ready, man, psychologically, the, the, the assault will get you. But, the, but I think that's like every institution they kind of force young people into, whether it's college or the military. Uh-huh. It's like, uh, you know, your mind is still malleable, so let us get a hold of it. And on, on, not only is it malleable, you're looking for your own place in this world, and we're just going to give it to you, and all you got to do is, you know, take this, whatever we're going to give you in the military's case, uh, free housing and, 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 a, and a paycheck, and you just kind of got to play along until you can't because, you know, you're also uh, a raging hormonal kid. So. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, that's going to conclude today's episode of Confessions of a Market Maker. If you guys enjoyed the show, please rate and review it for us. If you guys want to learn how to use Market Profile, if you want to trade futures, if you want to trade equities, JJ and I are at microefutures.com and equitiesetc.com. Ed, tell the people where they can find you and anything else you'd like them to know. 
You can find me at Ed Lattimore on everything. Ed Lattimore on Twitter, Ed Lattimore on Instagram. My website is edlattimore.com. My Facebook is Ed Lattimore. My, you know, so so if, as long as you remember Ed Lattimore and just plug it into whatever uh, <laughs> media you are on, if I'm on that, it'll be that way and you'll be able to find me there. All right, JJ, parting words. Oh, it was great having you on, Ed. It was uh you know, it's nice to uh, see how, you know, you've dealt with things and, and you know, and thrived and um, really, really like your attitude and, and you know, it's, uh, it's quite inspirational. It's great to have you on the show. Hey, man. I, well, well, thank you for having me. I really appreciate you guys having me on, man. It was great having this chat. This is, I always take note of like some, some uh, podcasts and I, I've been on a lot. Uh, I always remember the ones that are, are unique because a lot of them kind of go through the same run of questions. This was was, was an interesting one, man. You, your um, poker poker background and trading background definitely adds, adds some flavor to my, my thought process. Awesome. That means a lot. That really means a lot coming from you, Ed. Really appreciate that, man. And so for Black Magic, I'm Paulie Walnuts. He's the East Indian big pun. <laughs> Make sure you guys are using stops, though. <laughs>